Ecclesiastes chapter 8 this morning. We're so glad that our hearts have been able to be prepared in song uh, for the instruction in God's Word, pre-prepared in instruction in God's Word, in singing. We, we live in such a culture, and for those of you who are guests, this may sound new to you, but we live in such a culture where uh, music has become, the sound of music has become such an attractional thing um, for so many people. Um, when it comes to church, that we lose sight of Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5, and that we're to instruct one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and, and uh, our opportunity to all be teachers of the Word while we sing is the goal. Um, for those who are next to us, in front of us, behind us, um, this is what we do, and uh, you all do that more and more, uh, so effectively, and uh, that's the purpose of Christian song, whether we worship together or whether we worship personally. Uh, it's instruction. The tune is always secondary, and, uh, and praise God for that. Let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 8. For those of you who are guests, we try to cover one book at a time here. Uh, this year we've been looking at the book of Ecclesiastes on Sunday mornings. We've recently begun a new study in the book of Luke in the evening service. And Pastor Habas got us off to a tremendous start. And the study of the Gospel of Luke will continue that all the way through uh, the holiday season and into the new year. We've been studying... God's wisdom here in this book of wisdom literature in relationship to how do we handle certain inequities, um, things that seem to be unfair in life, and uh, we want to focus on how wisdom applies itself to functioning and handling the inequities of human government in chapter 8. I think the whole chapter is given to this. We're going to try to break up the whole chapter into three sections, remind you what those three sections are. We gave a half hour of introduction to this last week. If you weren't able to be here last week, you can go back on our website and get that review on the purpose of human government in our lives. Uh, but now we're going to take a look at one particular scenario here and how we can learn from that scenario as Solomon gives us this wisdom in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. But I think it's good for us to remind ourselves of its content by looking at all verses in this chapter as we begin this morning. So let's start in verse 1, which I mentioned before is probably connected to verse 29 in chapter number 7. Uh, so we'll begin in verse number 2 for our immediate context's sake. The preacher says, or the man of wisdom here, Solomon says, I say, keep the commandment of the king because of the oath before God, and do not be in a hurry to leave him. Well, the second part of verse one, right, tells us a little bit about the context of who this is. It says, a man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. We'll discuss that in a little bit. But this same man, as we understand it in the context here, is probably a little illustration here of a government employee. This is a guy that's in the presence of a despotic king, uh, a ruler that doesn't rule uh, with peace, but in tyranny. And this is a wise man who's in his presence, and his wisdom illumines him. And his wisdom can actually cause his face to be stern or to look troubled or concerned when he hears the tyrant speak, 
and he sees the tyrant rule. Right? Uh, have you ever been a person of wisdom and when a public leader says something that's not wise, it causes your face to be stern or concerned? Sure, I think it's happened to all of us. And for this fella, this, is, this individual, they're in the presence of this ruler and he's commanded here, you still need to keep the command of the king because of the oath before God. Verse 3, do not be in a hurry to leave him. Do not join in an evil matter, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since the word of the king is authoritative, who will say to him, what are you doing? He who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble, for a wise heart knows the proper time and procedure. Verse 6, for there is a proper time and procedure for every delight, though a man's trouble is heavy upon him. If no one knows what will happen, who can tell him when it will happen? No man has authority to restrain the wind with the wind or authority over the day of death. And there is no discharge in the time of war and evil will not deliver those who practice it. All this I have seen and applied my heart to every deed that has been done under the sun wherein a man has exercised authority over another man to his hurt. So then, I have seen the wicked buried, those who used to go in and out from the holy place, and they are soon forgotten in the city where they did thus. This too is futility. Verse 11, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and may lengthen his life, still I know that it would be well for those who fear God, who fear him openly. But it will not be well for the evil man, and he will not lengthen his days like a shadow because he does not fear God. There's a futility which is done on the earth. That is, there are righteous men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And on the other hand, there are evil men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say this, too, is futility. And the final, really, uh, verse or verses here that conclude the third major section of the book of Ecclesiastes, as we outlined it back in February, is here. It commences in verse 15. So what's the simple life of the believer look like day to day? So I commend pleasure, for there is nothing good for a man out of the sun except to eat and to drink and to be merry. And this will stand by him in his toils, even the toils of living underneath unjust human government that God still uses for his glory throughout the days of his life which God has given him under the sun. When I gave my heart to know wisdom and to see the task which has been done on the earth, even though one should never sleep day or night, and I saw every work of God, I concluded that man cannot discover the work which has been done under the sun. Even though man should seek laboriously, he will never discover. And though the wise man should say, I know, he cannot discover. There are three particular points that we outlined for you last week that's going to summarize the, the wisdom of this whole chapter and what is our disposition. What is our disposition as we live underneath any form of human government? And we have multiple forms of human government represented here this morning from all over the world. Regardless of the human government in which God's placed you, there is a disposition of wisdom that we discussed last week. And we said this disposition 
is wise in that it knows how to live, first of all, peacefully. It knows how to live peacefully. And secondly, it knows how to live justly or righteously. And thirdly, it knows how to live justly. Wisdom is always going to be wisdom. Wisdom of God is always going to be lived out in the people of God as they're governed by the Spirit of God. So the position that we have as believers in Christ and according to the Word of God that we live the character of God no matter where we're at under the control of the Spirit of God will always be there. But the disposition that a believer carries and his opportunity to live this disposition regardless of the form of human government I believe is the focus of Solomon here as we go through and highlight these wisdom truths in this short chapter. So wisdom would have us live peacefully under the inequities of human government. Um, my wife uh, is, is a, a tremendous, uh, she's, she's a Hobby Lobby fan. When she found out that Hobby Lobby was coming to mentor, we had a little time of rejoicing in our family room. And uh, when she read that in the paper, and uh, we were waiting for the opening, we recently were able to go. And um, her rejoicing can be my agony. Um, <laughs> recently, we went up there with both my wife and my daughter. And um, <laughs> I think we were probably um, five seconds past having seen the customer service lady in the customer service line first for something to be exchanged and they disappeared and for me as a guy i think there's there's fewer greater agonies in the world than to be stuck in a place of retail that your girls in your home really enjoy and then they both go in different directions and it's a big place and you just completely lost the opportunity to depart that place in a timely manner and so when I lose my wife in those envi environments, I have a little whistle because um, I don't know where she's at. And so uh, when I try to find her, I, ha I do this whistle. I'm not going to do it on camera nor recorded. Uh, but she understands what that whistle is and what its purpose is. I don't have a whistle for Emma. Uh, so that can be a problem. But nonetheless, we... We went to the customer service line first before that happened. And there's the sweetest lady in the customer service line. And we walked up and my wife said, so I lost the receipt for this. And I know that's a problem. And hopefully we can work something else out for this. And she goes, and I, I, I got out my phone and I wrote this down because I thought it was fantastic. She said, ma'am, this is the line of happiness. She goes, there are no problems in this line. I was like, I like this lady. And I needed to hear that before we went into the store and they departed and I lost them. I went through my agony because what I could do is always go back to the line of happiness. Right? And so I told her on the way out the store that night, there was a young married couple in line in the line of happiness. And, and, and they said, wow, we, we, we bought this. We figured, you know, we really couldn't afford it. So we're bringing it back. Young married couple probably working out their newfound budget issues and so forth. And she goes, and I was in the line next to them checking out. 
And I leaned back over the line. I said, but that is the line of happiness. And she's going to take care of you. There are no problems there. And she said, you know what? She said, you're right, sir. As a matter of fact, I have here on my phone a website where you can go find a 40% off coupon for that which you're returning. There are no problems in my line. So whenever I'm having a hard week now, I'm just going to go back and visit the line of happiness. <laughs> Apparently, she is bringing peace and happiness to all, and we all need to dismiss ourselves from reality from time to time and go visit that line. I know we're told in Romans chapter 12 that we are to be pursuers of peace. Right? We are to endeavor to live peaceably with all men. 1 Timothy chapter 2 tells us we actually pray for those who are in rulership so that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life. Titus chapter 3 and verse 1 in relationship to human government says the same thing, that we are to be ready for every good deed to malign no one and to be at peace or to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men in that particular context is, is in a relationship to our disposition and action in relationship to human government. I'm really proud of you folks at Grace Church of Menor. I think, I don't think, I, I, I know from years ago that I don't know that our church would have been known as having a sweet and peaceable uh, disposition in our community when it came to our attitude towards human government, but I can say I believe now that, that we have by and large grown in Christ-likeness to the point we're in the community now. We are known as spirit-filled, peaceable people Amen. when it comes to human government. And I praise God for that. I'm, I'm proud in that regard to be your pastor, among many other reasons why I'm proud to be your pastor, but I thank you for that. What's happening here in this context? We have a man who has wisdom who's always within earshot of a tyrannical leader who's pontificating wickedness. And so he's got a turmoil in his soul. Because he has wisdom when he hears what the tyrant has to say, his tendency is to get a stern face. Solomon tells us, look, that's probably not a good idea, especially under the rule of a tyrant, because he not only holds your paycheck, he holds your life, your physical life in his hand. So you can't even show facial disapproval, even though wisdom inside of you is welling up and it's coming out to show on your face. He's saying, look, wisdom needs to remain peaceable, even in our disposition. Why? Because the text says, look, you made an oath. You made an oath before God, and Romans 13 reminds us of that oath, doesn't it? That we are subject to those in human government, regardless how they got there. And then the wisdom balance for the rest of this passage, I hope, will be encouraging uh, to us in relationship to dispositionally living wisely, peacefully. We mentioned last week various... God-honoring folks in the scriptures that were able to maintenance a right disposition underneath the authority of human government and some pretty wicked rulers. We, we discussed Joseph and Nehemiah, 
and Daniel and his friends. And I, I really believe if you read the end of some of Paul's letters, there's, there's, a list, there's lists of names, and, and those lists often include those that were employees of the Roman government at that time. And, and these, were, these were sweet, spirit-filled, Bible-believing New Testament Christians that even though they lived and they worked in the house of tyrants and in the government of tyrants, they were, they were able to be light for Christ in those environments. And again, I'm thankful for all the people in our community that sit in unpaid opportunities or paid opportunities within our construct of human government to, to, to be light for Christ wherever you're at, um, whether it be local, state, or at the federal level. So a man's wisdom illumines him, and it can cause his stern face to beam. <laughs> and Solomon says here, not such a good idea. We're thankful for the wisdom, but we've got to be peacemakers. A godly person in the government job will often face scenarios that will be counterintuitive to their faith, but his responsibility, her responsibility, is to respond with wisdom. And really, it's no different than any other job in which all of us have outside of government, right? The scripture speaks to our dispositional responsibility as we live out our faith regardless where we work. We all know that there will be no righteous kingdom until Jesus establishes his on earth. And in the meantime, every godly person has to do their job with dispositional wisdom. And even our faces can show discontent in the presence of our leaders and Solomon is saying here that's that's not wise you can always look for another job most industries and companies and countries are going to be run by unbelievers so you have a command to work in scripture and you have to decide what work hills are worth dying on at your place of employment whether it be in human government or not but for the sake of our context solomon says it's wise to work hard and to discipline your heart and make sure what your feelings, that your feelings at times are not showing up on your face. It is wise not to show one's disapproval or disagreement. One godly man says with a despotic monarch, for Solomon, the wise disposition of a kingly subordinate in the king's court, as I said earlier, could actually cause him his job or his life. So the goal of an individual's wisdom was keeping the peace. Be that person that is over the line of happiness, if you will, right? Because in this, in this environment, in this despotic environment of human government, and, 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 we, and we know that there's, there, there's, right? We say this caustically, right? We, we know our country is, is, is really looked to currently as a, as a peaceful place, isn't it, right? So, yeah, so we know that's not true. So the more noise you hear, right? The more things you respond to on your device, right? There's a lot of noise out there. And what Solomon is saying, regardless of the noise, or regardless of the kind of government leader you appreciate or don't appreciate, be that peaceful person. Don't be that person of strife because the world is looking for someone that runs a line of happiness. 
they need someone to show really what spiritual stability is. And they need you to be able to, to come to, to understand the peace of Christ. He says here in verse 2 to make sure that we, we never forget. We don't allow our emotion or our poor disposition to keep us from understanding that there is a command, there's an oath that we have before God. I know within the wisdom context here, this is actually a, a job commitment or an oath that he's made to this ruler. But Solomon steps back and says, you know what? You made a job commitment to this person that you need to ethically uphold with the right disposition, but you need to remember who put that tyrant in authority. So really your oath is not to that tyrant, it's to God who allowed him to come to power. And God who's even working his will through that man's wickedness. And that man may think he's in control, but he's completely out of control in comparison to the leader who created him, the God who created him. So literally, we need to obey the king's command and honor this oath, which means that while you remain faithful to your oath made before God, because this ruler has been established by God, there are several ways in which this particular phrase in verse 4 can be interpreted. It says here, do not be in a hurry to leave him. Some have suggested this means that we don't leave the king's presence in a rage. But you shouldn't tarry in a bad situation either. Others have said this means don't be dismayed. Leave the king's presence. Don't be caught in a bad situation. So the wise man is supposed to disguise his true feelings while in the king's presence because the king's word is supreme. So really, I think wisdom's trying to teach us simply this, that we don't need to join in an evil matter. We don't need to join in that evil manner while we remain subject to that ruler in a peaceful way because he's going to do whatever he pleases. Again, you are called to submit to the position appointed by God, not compromise your convictions in the meantime. This verse 4 goes on to say, who's going to say to him, what are you doing anyway? <laughs> he's going to do what he's going to do. So there's no room for a wise man to publicly call out an authority because he knows that God's appointed him or her for that hour, for that time. And he should be able to, she should be able to trust their God to handle their leaders in discretion. So endeavor to live peaceably with all men, including ungodly, worldly rulers. Whether you're around local, state, or national authority, appointed by the authority of the people or not, persevere as a peacemaker. Persevere as a peacemaker. Why? Well, our New Testament mission to them and the people they oversee is simply greater than you or the ruler or their agenda. We've got an obligation under our Lord to pursue His marching orders for us prophetically stated in the Great Commission. And as peacemakers and future rulers of the world in the kingdom of Christ, right? We look forward to that kingdom while we endure through this with peace. 
with a mission that's greater than any agenda of human government or ruler of human government. So let's persevere as peacemakers. And secondly, let's persevere and live righteously. Persevere and live righteously. I was recently at a military event and asked to pray for that event. And one of the speakers, one of the military men at that event said that 1% of American citizens are in the military and only 23% of our American youth are physically and emotionally able to serve in the military. And I was thinking in in relation to that statistic, so when it comes to a Christian's capability to live righteously under human government, are we equipped in Christ to be able to do this and not be distracted from our mission? We often talk about here what it means to be healthy enough as a believer to make sure that we're able to spiritually reproduce ourselves in the community. And Solomon says here, look, this person in this particular position that we're all learning from is able to carry out wisely an opportunity to obey God because they're healthy enough to live peacefully and righteously under any kind of a tyrant, not distracted from the mission. The Lord's desire would be for human government to be supported by and live by the principles of righteousness and wisdom as well, but we realize that most won't, even ours. And culture of a country whose leadership employs God's wisdom and righteousness will, by common grace, probably be most successful in the way their society functions, but most human governments move away from that wisdom. So regardless of the righteousness or the application of it by any human government, the righteous ones within that human government or living underneath that human government need to decide to live righteously regardless. Verse 5, who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble, for a wise heart knows the proper time and procedure. The wise man in this very difficult situation knows to remain loyal to his command from God to respect the position of the disrespectful authority. And in his wisdom, will know to keep a proper disposition while he graciously walks away from the ungodly position. Ian Pravon in his commentary says this, It may be true that wisdom makes one wise man more powerful than ten rulers, but the truly wise person knows not to flaunt his wisdom when confronted by a foolish ruler. For there is a serious risk or harm if he does so. Verse 6 says, There's a proper time and procedure for every delight, though a man's trouble is heavy upon him. You know, when I was studying this context, I just kept thinking about 1 Thessalonians 5. Would you travel over there with me uh, real quickly, if you would? A New Testament context in relationship to living righteously under the inequities of human government. For there is a proper time and procedure for every delight, though man's trouble is heavy upon him. And the Thessalonian believers were obviously um, living in a form of government that was not as free and peaceable as the one that we enjoy, for sure. And yet they were able to wrestle their hearts and minds towards being light in a very dark political culture 
He says here in verse 1, Now as to the times and of the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. These are folks that are not being distracted by the flurry of ungodly politic or whatever in their day. For you yourselves, verse 2, know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of light, right? living righteously, and sons of day. We are not of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and of the helmet of the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. So that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and keep building one another up also as you are doing. Righteous people, children of the light, people that live distinct lives of holiness because they've been transformed by Christ, know how to positionally and dispositionally maintenance their righteous walk with God regardless of the human government in which they live. They just do. We heard that in Sunday school this morning again, didn't we? Regardless whether you live in China or the Philippines, Myanmar, wherever, God gives us the ability to live righteously. Amen. To live righteously for a cause, right? Greater than us and certainly greater than human government itself. So, there's a proper time and procedure for every delight. Though a man's trouble is heavy upon him, we trust and we continue to be faithful. Another author in relationship to this immediate context says that the wise man should recognize rather that such a royal matter is a temporary feature of reality which will meet its appropriate rec recompense in due course. And this he should know in his heart even while behaving outwardly as if he knows no such thing. The recognition that what is good and just will prevail in the end and will help him to endure in the meantime what is admittedly miserable, misery or evil. Verse 7, if no one knows what will happen, who can tell them when it will happen? Well, I know in our culture, <laughs> everyone tried, the pollsters, prognosticators, are always making pervasive declarations about the certainty or uncertainty of any one person or movement or philosophy or ideal part of human government. But hey, listen, our Lord and the grace he provides compels us still to live righteously with his character in our culture. We have friends all over the world persevering under various forms of human government. Just this week, I've heard from friends who know Christ living in Hong Kong, Taiwan, Ghana, Peru, India, Georgia, Korea, and the Ukraine, and as of this morning, the Philippines. In one situation, a pastor is discipling a new believer who comes from a very religious background where his church 
works hand in hand with the ungodly local rulers who persecute Christians. How does this new convert respond? This is a friend of mine in a particular country that um, had a mailman that he led to Christ. And even in his job, which is part of the local human government, his boss is attached to the church in the area and the leader of that church and the leader of human government are pretty much walking hand in hand. It's a political church situation. And, and this man is being watched when he comes to his home to deliver mail. And, and he's being watched in relationship to where he meets with this particular pastor in town. And, and this man's mom, the mailman's mom, started to pretend that she too was interested in Christ and began to meet with my pastor friend and her son in a Bible study, only to find out later that she was an informant of the local human government leader finding out and then turn her son in and turn this pastor in. And it's been quite a crazy situation for them ever since. And my pastor friend calls me and he says, what do we do? <laughs> well, Right? We live peaceably. We continue to live righteously and prayerfully and intentionally in Great Commission purposes. And, and praise God, the Lord is, after weeks of dust settling, uh, he's still able to minister uh, to this particular man and now his family in, in very much of a private, closed way, um, but still able to be a disciple-maker even in that environment. In his conversation with me, he says, Tim, he said, I, I can't act out. <laughs> he said, I, I will lose my life. I will lose my home. He said, I can't. But this is what I can do. <laughs> you happen to be in a country that is allowed to speak out and to speak up, right? Freedom of speech is encouraged, but we're rare, right? We're rare. But regardless, again, of the form of human government, we can all still live peaceably and, and righteously. There's a proper time. Remain children of light. And thirdly, this morning as we wrap up, wisdom would have us live justly among those within human government or underneath them. A friend of mine recently wrote, you cannot be profound, profoundly influenced by that which you do not know. As Christians, knowing God's justice outlined in his word is something that must profoundly influence us individually and then collectively. We ought to know it and it ought to influence us to hope. As we've already noted, quality moral citizens can be rarely more unsettled than when their authorities live and act unjustly and they realize the implication for them personally and the people culturally. And what compounds the anxiousness of the hour is often citizens have little to no control over what the unjust authorities do in many cultures. So the wisdom in this particular section of verses that we'll discuss teaches us plain truths about man and God's justice. 
We learned earlier today two truths about human government from the scripture, or last week, that God even uses unjust governments to do as well. And one day Jesus will reign, and all people groups will exist in peace under his righteous rule. And while these two truths remain axioms of biblical encouragement for us, wisdom would have us embrace a couple more aspects of living under human government. Verses 8 and 9. No man has authority to restrain the wind with the wind, or authority over the day of death. And there is no discharge in the time of war, and evil will not deliver those who practice it. All this... I have seen and applied my mind to every deed that has been done under the sun wherein a man has exercised authority over another man to his own hurt. All wickedness, Solomon teaches here, will have its time of reckoning. And God superintends his will regardless of godlessness and human government. Man may even be encouraged to continually dive into evil upon evil by those who rule, but evil will not deliver those who practice it. There remains an infinite amount of patience with our God through all of this. And we must remember throughout all human history that God's justice and his mercy always work together. Verses 10 and 11. I've even seen the wicked have honorable burials. I've seen the wicked come and worship and leave and go out and do more wickedness. It seems like when there's no justice, Solomon said that we read earlier, the longer justice is delayed, the more that wickedness is allowed to flourish. And in our finite understanding, that's probably true. But justice for them is imminent. And justice for us is peaceable and eternal. So even though wickedness may receive honorable burials, and even unjust rulers have gone to worship and walk out of the halls of holy places for centuries of time, and even though they might have well-attended funerals and their lives might be lauded for that which they've done, both good and bad. God's justice on behalf of them will be meted out. Delay in justice over the wicked is only an understanding of the finite. God is not slow concerning his promise. Evil will not deliver those who practice it. Rulers are especially prone to this lifestyle because often they are protected in their position and they feel unaffected. Many believers have been tempted to discouragement in their faith because they believe God is delaying his justice for these people. And can I just tell you an encouragement, you know, studying through this passage for me, I've committed in my own heart that the more upset I am with, you know, leaders in government, I'm going to spend as much time in prayer for them as I have been disgruntled with them. Right? Just a practical way to 
practice 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 for sure. So prayer for me helps me scripturally temple and temper and channel these uh, feelings that I get in relationship to the political noise around us. And I love texts like Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Certainly, folks, you need to understand the the cry for justice to be done is not only a cry that we have in our own hearts as God's righteous people now, but it's actually a cry of those people who have not just been positionally perfected in righteousness, but practically perfected in righteousness, even in a time to come, (laughs) right? In Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, the saints whose blood has been spilt they're martyrs. They're, they're, they're around the throne of God and they're still crying out for God's justice to be meted. And it, and it will. <laughs> and it will. And it, and it was through these bowl and, and trumpet judgments for sure. Go with me to 2 Peter 3 as we wrap up this morning. 2 Peter chapter 3. A simple New Testament context that's familiar to many of you. And let's look at verse number three. So living justly for us in our culture is is simply, according to the wisdom given here, backed up by New Testament realities as well, the opportunity for us to look forward to the justice of God, the final justice of God. But he says this in verse three of 2 Peter 3, Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming for ever since the fathers fell asleep? All continues just as it was from the beginning of creation, they say. For When they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of the water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. Simple reminder of justice. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but that all should come to repentance. Justice is coming. We don't need to be political activists. We don't need to be unkind. We don't need to be Vengeful. We don't need to be Christian vigilantes of any sort or kind. We need to be peaceful. We need to continue to live righteously. And we need to consider that ultimate justice is coming. But in the meantime, what's our Lord's disposition towards those who are unjust or wicked, even if they're in human government? I think we forget sometimes that the Lord takes no pleasure in the death of even one wicked person. I think we forget sometimes that we can't even begin to contemplate how 
our God who's infinite thinks or acts. One day is a thousand years and a thousand years one day to him. And a thousand years to he who is infinite is just a blip on his radar screen. And the Lord Jesus Christ, his heart for these people, according to 1 Timothy chapter 2, is that they be saved. There's one God and one mediator between God and man. It's the man, Christ Jesus, right? That's verse 5 of 1 Timothy chapter 2, which comes obviously after verses 1 through 4. God is not willing that anyone in human government should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So while we wait for the justice and the judgment of God to come upon those, and he faithfully will mete it out, our responsibility is to pray that they know that God's spiritual justice has already been placed upon his own Son, and that the Lord Jesus Christ has taken the wrath of God upon himself for even the sins of political leaders. And our job is to pray that these people will be saved. So whether we attend a Chamber of Commerce lunch here, or we exist in City Hall for whatever reasons we're in City Hall, or whether we walk the halls of the State House in Columbus, or the U.S. Capitol in the District of Columbia, we walk in there into those environments. We're to have been prepared to be present there with prayer first. We are to be armed with the disposition of peace while we live righteously, understanding that in the big picture of things, God has set those places up and those people there and our responsibility is to help them to understand who Jesus is, who certainly understands what justice is. So Solomon is saying here, look, don't be a Christian hater when it comes to understanding how to exist in human government. Don't be, don't be known as a an antagonist, don't be known, as I said already, as an activist, don't be known as a hardhead, right? Just do the right thing, be peaceable, live righteously, and understand that someday justice will come, but in the meantime, we have a mission to live in front of all these people. Because of time, I need to, to let you go, but I just want to remind you of Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, the disposition of godly people again in a tough, tough time in Israel's history. He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Verses 12 and 13, although a sinner does evil a hundred times and may lengthen his life, and I think this is still in relationship to those who are functioning within human government, still I know that it will be well for those who fear God, who fear him, what? Openly. But it will not be well for the evil man 
and he will not lengthen his days like a shadow because he does not fear God. So in our context, the stakes may be higher considering we're, taking, we're talking about the darkness of leaders in, in government. And countries often become like their leaders. We may wonder why are they allowed to live their godless lifestyles and why are their lifestyles prolonged? Again, we must always remember that the enduring promises and rewards of the wise believer eternally outweigh the short-lived reward of the rulers of darkness and human government. Second Corinthians chapter 4 reminds us even that if we incur some type of religious persecution in our own country, in the country in which you hail from, Paul reminds us that our affliction here is short compared to the eternal weight of glory that we'll enjoy. And those who fear the Lord are divinely privileged to both a position in the king's family. We will enjoy being kings to reign with him. And that will be world without end from eternity to eternity. Malachi chapter 3, verses 16 to 18 reminds us also, by way of encouragement, verse 16 says that then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord gave attention and heard it and a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. The Lord says they will be mine. On the day that I prepare my own possession and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked because one who serves God and one who does not serve him. So the wicked may appear to be getting away with murder, so to speak, a hundred times to lengthen his life, but his life is short, he forgets. And seven decades is nothing compared to eternity without end. A godly man said that Solomon himself now as a wise person knows that reality will not ultimately conform itself to the fantasies of fools. Wisdom resists the idea that wickedness pays even though it seems to go on and on unpunished. Walter Kaiser underpins that by saying that the just deserts of the wicked often seem to fall on the righteous God-fearer while the rewards of the righteous appear to drop in the lap of wickedness. It's understandable only by the wisdom found in the fear of God that the plan of God and the ability to enjoy life as offered by God is still there for those who will trust Him. So, the futility which is done on earth, that is, there are righteous men to whom it happens according to to the deeds of the wicked. And on the other hand, there are evil men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say this is futility. Sure, there may come times when choosing to live a moral lifestyle won't seem to pay even immediate dividends when compared to the lifestyle of the wicked. But while we await our eternal reward, the Lord does ask us to, to compartmentalize really the joys that are to be appreciated each and every day, as verse 15 tells us. 
These are given to us from the Lord's hand. So all, even while we live peaceably and righteously and we live justly as we await the justice of God, there are simple ways in which we are to live our lives. Simple ways. We are to eat. We are to be merry. We are to enjoy the pleasures of God. And we are to do that every day while we live underneath any form of human government. Relationship to verses 16 and 17 as we close this morning. Kidner says this, if we needed reminding that hard work and simple living can only shelve our ultimate questions, never settle them, this sequel to the bland advice of verse 15 should be enough. Go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. He says, When I gave my heart to know wisdom and to seek the task, verse 16, which has been done on the earth, and even though one should never sleep day or night, and I saw every work of God, I concluded that man cannot discover the work which has been done under the sun, even though man should seek laboriously. He will not discover. And though the wise man should say, I know, he cannot discover. There are certain things we just may never be able to comprehend in relationship to what God's doing in his whole scheme of things, but we can do, verse 15, and we can do, right, peace. We can do righteousness, and we can understand and live justice while we do, verse 15. Pull ourselves out of the noise, and let's learn to stay on mission regardless of the human government that the Lord's placed us under. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the simple wisdom that's here. We thank you for this particular individual. This maybe just an illustration that Solomon gives us of a wise person who lives and maybe even works in the, the court of a tyrant. Help us, Lord, to understand that which we can control, we should be able to control, and that is to certainly live, verse 15, while we seek to be a peacemaker, while we seek to be righteous, and, and while we seek to understand your justice and to live justly ourselves. We've realized what wisdom's address is to finance and to the character of man and now even in chapter 8 to human government. Help us as a church to continue to, to grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ unto Christ's likeness and help us, Lord, to even learn from his disposition of peace and righteousness and justice in his own life as we read the Gospels and we're reminded of how as an individual he submitted himself to the human government of that time while he continued to stay on mission that which his father had sent him. Help us, Lord, as a church to stay on mission regardless of all that's happening around us 
immediately and in our, in our country as a nation that is not very peaceful. And Lord, may you continue to build your church just through the people right here this morning who are, who are seeking to, to be light in our community, even in the venues of politic and human government. And Lord, we do pray this morning as we close for our leaders in local and state and federal government. Lord, I believe you've placed many people who know Jesus Christ in those environments. And I pray that their light would so shine that others around them would see their good works and come to glorify their Father that's in heaven. Use our people that way and continue to build your church through us in all these venues in which we exist until we see the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.